Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby. I'm Mary Kay Cabot. And I'm Scott Patsko. And away we go here, the Browns OTAs. They wrap up their OTAs this week. This was our third day watching them, and thus our final day watching them. It's mandatory minicamp um, next week. We're going to get to that, but let's start here, because as of recording this, and as luck would have it, by the time we post it, he'll probably have made a decision, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Gerald McCoy, still out there. Uh, visited with the Browns for a couple days, visited with the Ravens for a couple days, is going to visit with the Panthers now uh, here at the end of the week. So we're still waiting on a decision for Gerald McCoy. Freddie Kitchens today talked about it. Um, kind of, you know, he wants him to go visit because if he decides to sign with the Browns, it means he's bought into what they're trying to do here. Uh, or maybe it means the Browns just offered him the most money. That's not what Freddie said. That's my addendum. Um, Gerald McCoy. Mary Kay, we'll start with you. Your, your kind of initial thoughts on the Browns pursuing him and, and what he would do to this offense, to this defensive line. Well, first of all, I, I think he would be a great addition to this defensive line because he really brings that element of leadership on and off the field. I mean, he is just a top-notch guy from all accounts. I've talked to a lot of people about him. Everyone just raves about him as a person. He's one of those guys that just goes out and does things in the community. Uh, you know, he's all in on, on the field as well. And um, Bill Parcells, I mean, uh, Freddie Kitchen comes from the Bill Parcells school of having those veteran-type leaders around. And I think he would fill that role on the defensive line. I think you can still see, look, Miles Garrett is still a really young player. Even though he had 13 and a half sacks last year, he's a young guy that could still use guidance and somebody that can kind of show him how to do things and in some cases what to say and what not to say. I mean, Miles sometimes I think um, – he has a tendency to be almost a little too outspoken in some ways. And, you know, I think maybe, you know, Gerald could help him with even some of those kinds of things. So I think he'd be a great addition, and I, I still do think they have a pretty good chance of signing him. Well, and ironically, it was Miles Garrett who at that uh, field event in Akron a couple weeks ago said, eh, you know, I'm happy with the guys that, that we have here. Uh, he kind of stood up for his guys and, and wasn't real gung-ho about adding Gerald McCoy. But let's not forget he also said that about Emmanuel Ogba, mm-hmm. and, and that didn't work out. A- anybody who saw that season of hard knocks with the Buccaneers, it was a really boring season, especially compared to what we saw when they were here in Berea. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gerald McCoy really stood out as, as a guy that um, it, pretty much everything you mentioned, a leader, uh, just a gen- genuinely good and interesting person, mm-hmm. and the reality is you can never have enough guys on that defensive line. We saw it last year, Scott. 
Miles Garrett played a ton of snaps. You know, Larry Ogunjobi was out there playing with a torn biceps at the end of the year. Uh, you, you can never have enough guys rotating on that defensive line, especially when you're getting into those big guys in the middle. Um, you know, you want to try and keep them fresh. Yeah. Before I get to that, real quick, was it weird to you guys that Freddie Kitchens, age 44, called Gerald McCoy, age 31, a kid? He did that multiple times. <laughs> a little, a little just seemed, bit. Really? I mean, I don't know. Oh, they're they're it, both... Yeah, it didn't stand that. That didn't stand out to me. I guess just that coach-player relationship. So I was going just, to feel that yeah, way. Yeah, going to be the kid. Um, but speaking of kids, I mean, the Browns were one of the the, the youngest teams uh, in the league the last few years, and obviously that hurt them, especially in 2016, 2017. So bringing in someone like Gerald McCoy, who's a veteran who uh, can, like you said, have that leadership, and uh, you know, the, the offense has gotten that in, in a way with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. Uh, and now the defense can, can kind of look at, at uh, Olivier Vernon maybe to an extent, um, but in Richardson, and you add in someone like McCoy, then you're you know you're getting more of that veteran leadership, and that's going to take the core of this team, which is still very young, and kind of help them move forward. So I think, yeah, it's a good signing, and I think from a, a reporter standpoint, he'd definitely be somebody fun to uh, to cover. If like like you mentioned, Hard Knocks, um, he had some of the best moments on yeah. that that whole season. So. Uh, so, yeah, full of personality, and it would be a fun guy to be around. Um, the, the other thing, too, is um, you, you just kind of look at how John Dorsey has built this team. This just goes with sort of his team-building philosophy, I think. He's going to acquire talent. That's what he's just going to go out, and he's going to acquire talent if he has the opportunity. He understands the window is there for this team. They might not want to say it, and they downplayed it again at the, at the NFL draft announcement last week. The window is open for this football team. I mean, we can get into that as we get closer to the season, but the window is wide open for this football team right now for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Some under their control, some out of their control, but they're going for it, and he's trying to acquire as much talent as he can. And, you know, he sort of did this in Kansas City a little bit too. Throw a bunch of talent out there, let the coaches sort it out. And, And I think... That that's really been his approach with this football team. Absolutely. And, you know, I think this does show that, you know, there is nothing about rebuilding and incremental steps to getting better. This is about winning big this year. I mean, they are going for the gusto. You know, I, I think that they really hope to make a very strong push into the playoffs this year. And, of course, anything can happen at that point. You know, you line some of these guys up against a – you know, a Patrick Mahomes or even a Tom Brady, and anything can happen. I think that John Dorsey is fighting for a championship as soon as possible, maybe even this year. Well, not to get all sashi on everybody, but, (laughs) I mean, the plan originally was, uh, you know, strip strip it down the first two years. By year three, everybody talked about year three is when you want to be competitive. Well, year three was last season, and, and you can say that they were competitive. And then year four is when you're making the playoff push. Now, it's kind of worked that way, although it really seems like they've kind of flirted over the past, yeah. you know, Absolutely. eight months or so here and just really yeah. gone right. for it. You know, I, you know I, th- I think John Dorsey is looking at this landscape. I mean, I know I am. And so, Mary Kay, I think it's clear that, that what we're seeing is John Dorsey is going for it here with, with signings like this. Yeah, I mean, again, when you look at uh, the teams in, in the AFC, they're right up there. I mean, you know, if, if you had to put the Cleveland Browns against Kansas City, I think most people would would think that's going to be a pretty good football game and that I think there's a lot of people that would pick the Browns to win that game and a lot of people that would pick the Chiefs to win that game. And who knows? I mean, they are going to be playing the Patriots uh, fairly early on in the season, and, and, and that is going to be another one of those where it's like, you know what? 
maybe some people will pick the Browns to even beat the mighty Patriots. Well, and, you know, again, you, you start to tier teams in the AFC. You've got, of course, Kansas City and New England are going to be at the top. And there's no see. New England has a quarterback in his 40s. Now, who knows? He might play till he's 60 and, and be great till he's 60. I don't he's know. A, but... He's a sixth-round pick. <laughs> yeah, who's that guy? Right. But then you start to get into that next tier where you've got, you know, the Chargers. Maybe they kind of get a tier by themselves. And then you get into the Colts and the Texans. And, you know, I'm going to leave somebody out here. But you get into some of these teams that are trying to make that ascension. I think that's where the Browns probably view themselves. That's probably where they should be viewed as a team that won seven games last year, has an opportunity to go up, but they have a quarterback. They see the windows open. They see the AFC isn't exactly top to bottom this great conference, and the AFC North is in flux. I I mean, there's certainly no reason, Scott, that they shouldn't be going for it. Yeah, all these teams that have gotten new quarterbacks in the last few years, new rookie quarterbacks, are are these teams that are kind of looking to to ride that to, to success, you know, like even, you know, the Jets make big moves this year, and, you know, the Browns aren't the only one. There's, like, the, the Texans, and actually the Eagles have, have had a lot of success with Carson Wentz and, and the Rams. So these teams that have kind of gone out and made sure they've gotten their guy, it took the Browns a few years to get there, but uh, but now they've kind of joined that group, and uh, it's it's the race to, to uh, kind of like what Odell uh, alluded to earlier this year, to become the next Patriots, you know? Well, Who's going to be that team? It, it's fun to see because we've got John Dorsey building the Browns here, around a rookie quarterback, so he's spending a bunch of money. And then we've got his protege in Indianapolis with a veteran quarterback who makes a lot of money, and he's just drafting like crazy and finding all these gems in the second round of the draft and and building his team that way. And these could be two teams kind of fighting it out a little bit uh, in in January at some point. So it, it should be fun. Yeah, and we haven't even really mentioned the Steelers and the Ravens. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they are not just standing pat, and they're no. not just going to sit there. I mean, I think this is going to light a fire under Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, he's going to be so sick about hearing about the Cleveland Browns <laughs> and Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham. This is going to, He's going to get his game face back on. That Ben scowl is going to come back. And then I know the Ravens, I mean, even right now, this is like I've been calling this the first battle between the Ravens and the Browns over Gerald McCoy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are fighting, too. I mean, they... They want to maintain their ground in the AFC North. They are the defending champs. They, they went out. They got some good receivers to try to help Lamar Jackson. So, I mean, even though it is a division in flux, these guys are, are fighting uh, to get to the top as well. I, I do wonder if maybe the best thing to happen to the Steelers is all that unrest. And now, now you've got a super motivated Ben Roethlisberger that wants to go out and prove something. I wonder if we're going to see that um, this season. So, yeah, I, I, we certainly shouldn't write off either of those teams because, like you said, look, Baltimore did win the AFC North last yeah. year. Pittsburgh uh, was right there watching on the Jumbotron as the Browns and Ravens played to see if they would right. win the AFC North. So, yep. um, you know, th- those, are, those are still the two kings of the hill where the, where the Browns want to get to. Now, one of the reasons the Browns are feeling good about things is – the NFL Draft, something that has been this team's Super Bowl for so long, and we're going to touch on this uh, just briefly here, but the Browns and the city of Cleveland finally got their bid through to the NFL. The NFL Draft will be coming here in 2021. It does not include the city of Canton or the Hall of Fame, which which was a little surprising, but they decided that Cleveland was the place uh, to do this. Um, the draft coming to Cleveland is obviously a huge deal. We saw what it did in Philadelphia. We saw this year what it did in Nashville. Um, Cleveland's a little built a little bit differently than those cities. It's, it's logistically going to be a little different from those cities, but but Scott, we've seen that 
Uh, this is an event that draws a lot of people to this city, and if anybody loves their draft, it, it's going to be Clevelanders and, and Browns fans. Yeah, but it is kind of weird because after all those years of, of, of it being the Super Bowl for the Browns, now they're in a position to have it be kind of an afterthought, kind of like it was this year. You know, it wasn't... It didn't seem to be the big deal. A lot of it had to do with the fact they didn't have a first-round draft pick anymore. But uh, there wasn't this, the Browns need to land big-time talent in this draft in order to make a difference. So going forward, you know, by the time the draft shows up, uh, I think uh, our colleague Doug Maurice was uh, saying uh, <laughs> how they're going to have the 32nd pick uh, that year. Uh, that you know, the, the goal, I think, is to have a pick that's way down near the bottom of the first mm-hmm. round. So um, the, the fans will be super excited about it and I'm sure they'll come out in force but uh, it'll be weird having it here and not having the Browns be kind of the center of the draft like they've been for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the other thing though is it has become sort of a tourist event mm-hmm. too. It, it's sort of crazy how, you know, again in Nashville, and look, Nashville's obviously a big destination city and a lot of people will look for excuses to go there, but it has become this big touristy event and I think when you combine that with the fact that even if the Browns are picking like 30th or 32nd or 24th or whatever, I think fans will still be excited here about the draft. It, it could, I mean, it, it, it's going to be enormous. It, it really is. And when you look at the economic impact of $100 million coming into the city, which is what uh, the, the last few cities have realized, uh, that's tremendous. I think it's an opportunity for uh, the city to shine again and maybe to spruce up some areas. Let's bring back the flats to where it was back when I was young and going down there all the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would be it would be fun to, to kind of have Cleveland be that sort of destination. I mean, you've got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right there. Uh, uh, and then I do think that the the Hall of Fame, even though Canton won't be included, I think people can kind of uh, incorporate that into their visit here. So I think it's going to be absolutely great for the city, and I really do think uh, that Cleveland will knock it out of the park. And I just give so much credit to David Gilbert, uh, the head of the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission. He just puts Cleveland on the map time and time again, bringing these big events to the city of Cleveland. I think it's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so they're going to have everything sort of by the lake, it sounds like. Not everything, but it seems like the main, the bulk of it's going to be uh, by the lake, uh, by the stadium. I'd imagine on, what what is that, Mall C over Mm -hmm. there, uh, by the convention center. Um, So it should be kind of a cool... You know, we all remember what the Cavs parade looked like. Uh, it, it should be sort of a, a cool scene uh, in Cleveland to see all those people here for, for the draft. Yeah, but that was in the summer, though. That you was in the, the summer. you got to watch for that weather. Yeah. You're playing with, uh, with fire there. And, you know, uh, who knows what the weather's going to be like at <laughs> yeah. that point. I know. We've all been through 60-degree days yeah. in late yeah. April. We have all seen... 12 inches of snow in late April. Well, they might, they might get both. Philadelphia got lucky uh, last year. They had really great weather. But, I mean, it could be. Maybe on Thursday night it's going to be 65 and, yeah. and beautiful out, and then the next day we're going to wake up to 30 degrees and, and snow. But none of this will matter for us because we're going to be here in Berea watching it on a TV. <laughs> That's right, where we always are yeah. every year for the draft. Yeah, everybody always asks me, like, you know, so, so what are you doing for the draft? I mean, are, you, are you going to where, are you going to Nashville? I'm like, nope, nope, going to be sitting in the media room in Berea watching on TV, <laughs> just like you are. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk about what happened here in Berea today, uh, OTAs. Let's, let's get to those. You know, this has been the story um, of OTAs. It's been something that some people are sick of us talking about. Some people 
agree with us, some people disagree, whatever it is. Uh, it's been a hot-button topic either side. Odell Beckham uh, was not here. He's been here once for OTAs. Next week is the mandatory minicamp. Um, we spent a lot of time on this, but but it merits discussing because Freddie Kitchens today seemed at least the most agitated that we've seen him about the whole thing. He he was asked about um, he, he was asked about Odell not being here, what he missed, and he basically said a lot. And mm-hmm. then he added on the offense and Mary Kay. What he's getting at there is they've been installing this new offense under Todd Munkin, combining his system with Freddie Kitchens' system and. That's done. The installs are done. They're mm-hmm. going to show up next week, have the installs done, and, and they're going to hit the ground running. And, you know, he has missed that. Yeah, he has. And, again, it was the first time that Freddie seemed irked. It was the first time he sent a message basically saying uh, he's missed a lot, he's missed the offense. And when asked what does he want to see out of him next week, he said, I just want to see him. Now, of course, uh, the, that's going viral. You know, we've <laughs> the, seen a – The New York Post yes. tacked a pretty incredible headline on that. Yeah, the New York Post basically <laughs> uh, saying that – Cleveland is begging uh, Odell Beckham to be here. But, you know, there was a method to Freddie's madness. He knows what he's doing. He's sending a message and saying, yeah, this wasn't exactly ideal. And so many times you hear Freddie talk, and he talks about, it's all about the team. We want guys that are all in. And I think they expected him. I know they expected him to be here more than one out of the 12 team practices uh, that have taken place so far, including the three-day extra minicamp given to new head coaches. I think it's odd, we've talked about this before, that and Afghani was in a contract year trying to get that extension last year, but that he went to 7 of oh, seven of 10 OTAs last year. He went to the extra mini camp last year. They're in, they installed a whole entire new offense. Baker Mayfield is out there throwing to Ishmael Hyman <laughs> instead of Ooh. OBJ. And what compounds it even more is the fact that Jarvis is hurt. Yeah. And so with Jarvis out with an undisclosed minor injury, like you've got your top two guys that are that are not getting that timing and rhythm down. And I'm sure that part of it won't be uh, hard for them to pick up. I mean, that's really not the point. The point is you come here, you show that you are absolutely willing to do anything it takes to get to a Super Bowl this year. I, I do. I, I, bet, I mean, I bet if you asked any coach, um, they, they would want every single player here. Sure. They would want 90, however many guys. They, they would want all of those players here. And, and Freddie's no different. And, and I do wonder, honestly, if, if this is going to become a point of contention as we get into CBA talks, maybe. Because this is something players fought for. They wanted this stuff to be voluntary. And they got they got all but the one, all but the three-day minicamp to be voluntary. And, and I do wonder if, uh, you know, as, as more players take advantage of that, if maybe that becomes a sticking point in the CBA because, you know, Odell Beckham isn't doing anything wrong on paper. He's, he's just, you know, he's he's not necessarily helping the, the team develop by, by not showing up over these 10 days. Since he's become a Cleveland Brown, he's had more Nike commercials come out than practices that he's attended. You know, one practice, <laughs> Good point. two Nike commercials. Uh, yeah. I think, and I said this before, I think a lot of this is, I think you alluded to Mary Kay is about the perception that he's here and he's all in and he he wants to be setting an example that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, though, minicamp is going to be all eyes on him mm-hmm. because anytime he seems lost or has to have direction or him and Baker don't seem to be on the same page, well then then this story kind of just keeps going. Mm-hmm. But if he shows up and everything seems fine, he seems to understand what he's supposed to do and he has. You know, if he's catching passes from Baker, then the story goes away just like that. And it's it's something that that we probably won't talk about again. 
one thing that will be interesting to watch on the very first day of mandatory minicamp. Is he out there with the first team for the first 11-on-11 drill? Now, if you really uh, buy into the notion as a coach that these are voluntary and you don't have to be here and we're not going to punish you and we are not going to hold it against you, then I would think he would have to be in the starting lineup for the first 11-on-11 drill. I'm anxious to see what they do. And I'm anxious to see if they draw up kind of a a gimme deep ball to uh, to him to kind of uh, to kind of show everybody hey yeah. don't worry about it yeah. and we'll all tweet out videos of it and tweet right. about it and, and all will and, be well yeah we'll all <laughs> move on yeah. um that that's sort of the nature of the the time we're in the one thing that that you did notice though is with Landry out and with Beckham not here and Antonio Callaway not here um the the depth on this wide receiving core can't I don't think it can take too many hits right now uh because what you really saw was, I saw it last week and I saw it this week too, Baker Mayfield was dropping back, and basically, unless he was throwing the ball to 81, Rashard Higgins, it, it was kind of a crapshoot. Now, he he had that deep ball to Ishmael Hyman today, uh, but it's really been, I mean, he's been very aggressively looking for Rashard Higgins out there. We know about the connection those two have. But without those other guys, he's sort of been in a position, and Scott, you've compared it to, to what it was during the Chargers game this right. season. He's been in a position where he hasn't had really a bunch of guys that he knows well and can count on. Yeah, I think he, you know, he has a lot, a lot of young guys who, who are here kind of learning as they go. Like Freddie said at the beginning of OTAs, the, the big deal of OTAs is the knowledge that you're gaining. And you got a lot of guys who have a lot of knowledge to gain. You know, you have some people, like, other than Higgins, you have, you know, Derek Willies, who's who, who was here last year. Um, but you have a lot of people you brought in, you know, Jalen Strong and um, uh, Blake Jackson, who was a quarterback in college. You know, you have these people kind of learning on the go. So, so yeah, I mean, if, if I was dropping back, I'd be looking for Richard Higgins too. Um, <laughs> so if there's anybody who's really looking forward to minicab, it's Baker because he knows that he should get his frontline guys. Yeah, well, and, and even Derek Willies was on the side today. Uh, I think he was on the side last week when he mm-hmm. was here too. Um, to Damian, Damian Ratley, I didn't see him today. Did he practice today? I did not. If he see did, him. I, I didn't saw notice him last him, week, which probably isn't great. For yeah, Damian I don't Hadley. think he did today. Too. Um, I, saw, I didn't see him running around. Yeah, out there. we saw a lot of Jalen Strong um, out there. Today. A lot of Jalen Strong. Um, a lot of Blake Jackson. We saw a lot Dorian of Higgy Baker. today. Dorian, Dorian Baker. Baker. Dorian Baker actually has done a nice job. Yeah, um, as, as we kind of look at some guys that have stood out. Um, yep. The the secondary I've really liked so far. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's hard to tell anything in OTAs, but I've liked the secondary. I like that they're pushing Greedy Williams into the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I understand wanting to make a guy work his way up, but we saw it last year with Denzel Ward. Throw this guy out there and see what he can do. And, and now you've got – now you can play around with guys. Now T.J. Carey can play in the slot where he was really good last year. Terrence Mitchell kind of back to fighting for, you know, former seventh-round pick. He knows how to fight for a roster job. He had an interception uh, today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he you can play around with him a little bit now. So, you know, I, I like the way the secondary looks. Obviously, we know about Demarius Randall. We didn't really get to see Morgan Burnett uh, during, here during OTAs. But um, I, I like the potential of this secondary again. Yeah, they're they're working very hard, and you've got a lot of good 
secondary coaches right now that are coaching these guys like crazy. Steve Wilkes has a secondary background. We talked to Joe Witt today, the, the one of the secondary coaches, one of the DB coaches, along with Dwayne Walker, and he is he's a tough guy. I mean, he <laughs> is not going to put up with anything. I mean, he basically said, if you're not going to stick your nose in there, if you're not going to tackle, and you're not going to be physical and do all the things that we need you to do, because as Steve Wilkes said last week, that will set the identity of this defense. If you're not going to do that, uh, Witt says, forget it, you're not playing for us. And so I think you're going to see that was the big, uh, that was the issue with Greedy coming out in the draft is that he wasn't mixing it up the way that they needed him to, wrapping up and, and really being willing to be aggressive and physical. And, uh, and these guys are going to yank that out of him. They're going to teach Denzel how to, how to tackle so that he doesn't get the concussions anymore. And you're already seeing that really good competition amongst those secondary guys. Scott, uh, what stood out to you over these? Not, not not just today necessarily, but just over the course of OTAs. What what stood out? Uh, I think seeing the front four on that defensive line, uh, you know, the Vernon Richardson, Ogunjobi, Miles Garrett, uh, and kind of seeing them in action. Now it's weird. OTAs you can't really do a lot because no tackling. Obviously, they're not even in pads. They're in helmets. But this ball is snapped. They'll rush, and then it's just almost an instant pulling up, you know, or, or Miles Garrett's coming around the edge, and he's just taking a wide turn because he knows that he can't hit uh, Baker Mayfield. Um, in training camp, a lot of times they would whistle a play dead and give a player the sack, but they weren't really doing that here. It was more about uh, making sure that the quarterback did eventually get the ball out. So it was hard to, to gauge how how fast that team or how fast that line was moving against the offensive line because it was just this – this quick start and stop, quick start pullback kind of thing, and uh, but it's obvious that they're going to be a handful because not only were Vernon and, and Garrett able to get pressure around the sides, you also have people pushing up in the middle, uh, and that was uh, a big thing today. A couple of times, uh, Baker really had to kind of move out of the pocket uh, just to get the throw off. So um, seeing them finally together, able to rush another team's passer will be something to behold, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, something hopefully we'll see in Indianapolis when they're going against uh, the Colts, yeah. uh, I think this before the second preseason game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what stood out to me, just seeing that, that foursome together and, and kind of being able to tell that they're going to be something to watch. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't get to see anybody actually hit a quarterback until the, the games start. But, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, we're, we're going to get a look once the pads go on at how physical these guys can be. Um, the one thing to talk about, it came up today with Freddie Kitchens um, and, and with James Campen as well. Austin Corbett has been working with the second team at center in the two practices, the last two practices we've been out here. Um, it's been Kyle Kalis starting at right guard. Now, Freddie said that they've been rotating, mm-hmm. uh, that they've been using Austin Corbett at right guard. We just haven't been out here for those days. Mm-hmm. But I still wonder, you know, does it matter? Because, okay, maybe they are rotating, but, you know, Joel Batonio is still lining up first team left guard. J.C. Treader still lining up first team center. They're not messing with the tackle positions. I, I think there might still be something here to keep an eye on with, with Austin Corbett and, the, and this right guard position. Well, what I think they're doing is they're making him earn the job. Now, they said from the very start they were not going to hand him the job. They must have identified something in him that tells them that they need him to be hungry and to fight for this and to work his tail off uh, to earn this position. Because I still think that ultimately he probably is going to be the guy. I still think that's the plan. 
but they they want to bring him up to speed as fast as they possibly can, and I think they're trying to light a little bit of a fire under him. Yeah, I mean, Scott, do, do you read anything into this, or, or are you kind of – is it sort of what Freddie and, and James Camp had said? They're just rotating guys. I, you know, we, we don't see everything. So um, we, uh, we heard from the offensive line coach, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, today. James Campen. Yes. Um, and he did say that uh, we're not seeing the whole picture, you know. And, and Corbett is getting time at guard, um, but it's more of a, an open competition. So there is that side of it. But I think it is – it's got to be concerning to – have heard them pretty much anoint Corbett the the successor to Zeitler, and now you look out there and you do see Kalis. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's got to be concerning to John Dorsey, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we'll see how all of this plays out. I, I mean, the I guess the right answer to all of these questions is, well, let's see in September. Mm-hmm. But that's no fun. We're recording a podcast. It's it's May. We want to talk about. Uh, it's almost June. We want to talk about football, so uh, we, we've got to try and read into some things and, and talk about things like this, and maybe it'll all be changed by September, but uh, we'll talk about that when that comes along. One other thing to, to point out that I think kind of stood out is the fact that we spent a lot of time wondering who that third linebacker was going to be mm-hmm. when they got rid of Jamie Collins, but they haven't really used a third linebacker. Yeah. It's basically been Joe Schobert and Christian Kirksey at linebacker, and they've had like a third safety, which sometime uh, Jermaine Whitehead um, and then the second line has been the two rookies, Taki Taki and, and Wilson. So uh, it seems that that is the, the path they're using to go forward. And Avery has been clearly an edge rusher uh, throughout the, the, the sessions that we've seen. So, Yeah, I, um, I actually asked the linebackers coach about that today because Avery's been working with the defensive mm-hmm. line. And I said, right. do, you, do you still see him as part of your group? And he said yes, but the reality is Avery has been working with defensive linemen in drills, and this is a guy that can get after the quarterback as good as anybody, and that's something that John Dorsey and really the entire NFL values. So I, I think um, when you look at that linebacker position, like you said, Scott, I don't know if, if we're going to see three people out there very often. We certainly haven't here in the spring. Um, and, and if we do see a third, I don't know if that's going to be Jannard Avery or if he'll be mostly coming off the edge as a rusher. Yeah, and, you know, they're, they're going to be in, um, in sub-defenses so often, uh, playing against ex, you know, the spread and playing against four wides and three wides. So I think they're, they're practicing it almost like they're going to play it in terms of the percentages. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Google Play, on Spotify, all of those good places. Leave us some reviews, too. Good reviews in the Apple Podcast Store. Uh, For Mary Kay and Scott, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.